Thank you, Kate, for leading us and the team for uh, leading us in worship today. So here we are as we uh, head into December. Uh, we've reached the end of the Sermon on the Mount, which we've been working through all years. It's taken us 18 sermons uh, to cover the same content as Jesus did, but we're not Jesus. So, you know, that's okay. And I really hope that as we've been kind of working through uh, this incredible uh, set of teachings that has given you insight into the heart of God and what Jesus is calling us to be as his followers, as his disciples. Uh, and um, I think that uh, it is apt that we finish with what I would consider to be one of my favorite lessons of Jesus, um, which is the tale of two builders. I couldn't help but uh, have a little laugh at the, uh, at the translation, uh, the easy-to-read translation, you know, the, the stupid fellow. I was like, all right, all right, let's not pull punches here. Um, but it is a great, it is a great lesson, and, uh, and hopefully you enjoy it as much as I'm going to uh, in sharing it. So if you've got your Bible, feel free to turn with me uh, to Matthew chapter 7. Uh, it will also be on the screen as well. So therefore, that is in light of everything that I've previously said, catch up on the other 17 messages, all right? Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Now, perhaps like me, you've heard this, what could almost be considered to be a parable many, many times. I've heard it spoken about, I've spoken about it, I've, I've heard it written about, uh, debated about among various religions. I've also heard it sung on Donut Man cassette tapes growing up as a kid, and earlier, uh, uh, <laughs> earlier uh, Matt was playing the piano of these little ditty tunes that you just recall about the wise and the foolish builders. It's a very familiar story to many of us. Um, we have this kind of comparative kind of parable in many respects, one with a good outcome and one with, of course, a bad outcome. And on a surface, and to a certain extent, it appears quite simple. But there is also this beautiful depth to this teaching that I want to introduce you to uh, this morning. And to do this, I want to focus on these words uh, from verse 24. Therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, these are very key words, puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on rock. Building house and rock. So Jesus says what we do with his words really, really matters. And he frames it around this image of building a house. Now, perhaps this really shouldn't surprise us given uh, Jesus' particular vocation uh, prior to his ministry as a rabbi. I know that for many of us, we carry around this idea that Jesus was a carpenter, you know, Joseph Carpenter, he was a carpenter's son. And that's totally fine, that could well be true. But the actual word in Greek, tekton, uh, means builder or craftsman, which uh, when it comes to actually building at the time, they didn't use as much wood as we would, uh, they'd use more stone. So equally, Jesus' kind of a vocation would probably more likely have been a stonemason. Uh, he, was, he was someone who was a builder, a crafter, and, and that was his vocation prior to being a rabbi. So it's actually, again, quite apt that he frames it around this idea of a building project. We need to think about what it means to build something well. 
And this was a very familiar image. It was a deliberate image. It's rooted in with this deep meaning and significance, like all rabbinic teaching, by the way. Whenever you see a rabbi teach, it's never just surface level. There's always things that are hidden under the surface. And particularly as Western Christians, sometimes we can feel a little bit uncomfortable about that, right? Because we like the kind of the, the clarity and the logic of what's on the surface, but that's just not the, uh, the Eastern mindset. There's always depth um, that is going on. And so the first image I want us to kind of focus on is this idea of building. The wise man is like a man who built his house. Because the reality is that we are all builders. In this story, the wise man and the foolish man were both builders. Okay? Our lives are this construction. And what we place our trust and what we place our faith in is not something that we can sort of kind of subcontract out. Oh, I just kind of subcontract that out to my parents or to my friends. We can't kind of sit on the, on the side and just sort of site supervise as this life is being constructed. We are builders. We build this life with every decision that we make and the actions that we take every single day. You know, to, to kind of follow this parable, it's not like just one day the house kind of appears on the rock. We don't just one day have this faith that withstands every storm that comes our way, do we? We need to build it. We need to construct it. It's a deliberate and, from a couple of weeks ago, intentional endeavor. For us as Christians, we have heard the words of Jesus, and now we need to decide on what foundations we build our house or life as a disciple. Now, when Jesus spoke this parable, he was entering into a Jewish discussion that had been occurring for a long time, and that was this debate over what it meant to practice something. The rabbis would debate a whole lot of things, and this word practice was one of those key debates. Now, one of the uh, debates around this was the struggle between the priority of study and observance or action. There were different kind of schools of thought. Some people prioritized practice as study. We need to know as much as we can. We need to dig in deep and, and understand to the nth degree what it looks like to put this into action. And then there were other schools of rabbinic thought that said, well, that's all well and good, but actually the priority needs to be the observance of the law. Even today, uh, Jewish practice is readily defined as devotion to the study of Torah and observance of its laws and commands. So you can hear those two dynamics, study of Torah and observance to its life and commands. So this kind of principle was a raging debate at the day. Now, for those of you who, who know, recently I've got into a fair bit of archery. It's been a whole lot of fun. Uh, I managed to win a bow online, which is always a way to kind of get into a particular sport when something appears on your doorstep and says, play with me. And, uh, and so when, uh, in anticipation of this, this bow arriving, I uh, thought I'd study up. I went onto YouTube and I looked at all the YouTube videos I possibly could. Um, Jake Krasinski, ex-Olympian, he was teaching recurve archery, a new sensei down in Victoria, he's teaching all this stuff about archery. And there's this guy down in South Australia, um, his name is Stephen Ham. he runs an archery shop and he's a straight shooter and, and he, he talked about archery. And I, I read everything that I could about archery in anticipation of, uh, of beginning my journey of archery. Uh, lo and behold, it, it, the gear arrived. I, I'd set up my target in the backyard. I made sure everyone was clear. And I must admit, by the time I got to actually shooting, I was feeling pretty confident. I had a good bow. I had a good kind of like, you know, finger tab. I was ready to line up. And to be honest, I'd set up the target so close that I felt sure that there was no possible way that I could miss it, right? 
Like, I'm not that stupid, okay? But nevertheless, I was feeling pretty confident because I had listened to all this content. And the big thing in my mind was aggressive shot mindset, right? Aggressive shot mindset. And I did. I lined up from probably five meters away with my first arrow with an aggressive shot mindset. And I aimed at that target. I pulled it back. And then I released that arrow. And of course, it glanced off the top of the target and went straight through the metal uh, metal back panel of of, uh, of the screen that, that separated my house from the neighbors, and um, and I was like, "Whew! All right, let's just um, tone your like expectations back a little bit, right? Because I'd had all this kind of knowledge and all this understanding, even self belief, but the truth was I just hadn't actually put it into action yet, right?" And the same can be true when it comes to Jesus and his teachings. We can know all this stuff. We can grow up in the church for ages and we can know what to do, have all the right equipment, get all set up. But then when we actually come to living it out, we can miss by a mile, right? And so this was the debate Jesus was entering into. Um, A couple of weeks ago, you might recall, um, I referred to a passage in Matthew 23. I don't think I've got it on the screen, actually. Um, Oh, do I? Yes, I do. Jesus um, said to the crowds and his disciples, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So you must be careful to do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do for they do not practice what they preach. Okay? They tie up heavy cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. So there's this sense in which it's like it's good to know everything, but actually putting things into practice means giving life to those actions. And so I took that advice on board. I listened to Stephen Han. He said, don't care about your equipment. He said, just shoot hundreds and hundreds of arrows. And that's what I've done over the last five or six months. I've literally shot thousands of arrows. And they haven't been perfect, right? But that is the work and the practice. And the same is true when it comes to being a follower of Jesus. Now, what is the answer to this question? Is it, is it study or action? Now, of course, the answer is both, right? It's not just we do the action ill-informed, but Jesus wanted to ensure that particularly for his era hearers, they weren't going to become people who just were this kind of this wealth of knowledge without practice, right? They didn't want fat Christians. They wanted fit Christians, you could say, right? Not ones who just stored this up, but actually lived it out. You know, sometimes we hear this parable and we can think that the wise man represents Christians and the foolish man is everybody else. Sometimes we just naturally do that in our brains. But remember that in the parable, both builders heard the words of Jesus, both of them. It was their practice, their action, their living it out that made the difference in the end, all right? So this isn't some sort of superiority thing where it's just like, oh, we are the wise ones, they are the foolish ones. Both builders heard the words of Jesus. It's what they did with them that mattered in the end. So we know that we're both builders, or we're all builders, shall I say. But what are we building? We're building a house. Now, if you've been here a while, you know this about me already, and I cannot emphasize enough that rabbis like Jesus, they chose their words for a reason. And this teaching is no exception. These builders were building a house. It's loaded. They weren't building a carriage. They weren't building a chariot or a table or a pyramid. They were building a house. So in the first century, what is the significance of building a house? 
And a good way to answer this is through an understanding of word, what we call word associations. And that is, in every single culture, I could say a particular word, and if you would ask me what kind of words are associated with that word, right, it would give a, quite a good reflection of the culture that we are kind of engaging with. So, for example, if I was to talk about building a house in Australia in the 21st century, right, we might come up with words like mortgage or difficulty in finding a builder. <laughs> we might talk about interest rate rises, family, frustration, repairs. You got any other ones? <laughs> the, what's that? Dreaming. <laughs> Dreaming, right? So, so we, we put this word building a house out there and we come up with these kind of words. Now, in every single culture, if you were to put out that same word, there would be different words that would arise depending upon the values and the priorities and the context in which that was given. Now, for the people living in the first century around Jesus' day, their word associations were different. Okay? There may have been some overlap with ours, but their understanding of building a house links with other ideas, other words, and other practices from their culture. But in the case of building a house, there was one major word association that would have immediately jumped out to Jesus' audience. And that's this one. Marriage. Marriage. In the first century, building a house, word associations, marriage. That is answer number one in family feud. Okay? So in Jewish culture, the time when a young man would build a house when he was getting married, right? It would rarely occur outside of this setting. All right? Here we are, we're building houses everywhere. Marriage was when you build a house in the first century. Um, now, what would happen is the young man would become betrothed, he would become engaged, but before the wedding could occur, the young man would have to build a house or technically an extension onto his father's house, is how it worked in the day, for his future wife and family. This house that he was building was going to shelter his family, it would provide security for his family, and would be this place of growth and love. Okay? It was so critical. In fact, this kind of wedding language, right, is actually contained all throughout Jesus' teachings. We often miss it. I mean, consider these words from John chapter 14. See if you can hear the wedding language in this. Jesus is speaking to his disciples. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Right? So Jesus, in this language he's using with his disciples, literally wedding language, right? He's going, I'm going to prepare a place for you, and when it's ready, I'll come back so you can be where I am. Yeah? So, so like, this is not, we just miss it, and that's fine for us to miss it, but that's what's going on here. Jesus utilizes this language that is really familiar in the day. Now, this house that was being built by this young man was so important that the father of the bride would need to approve of and bless the house before the couple got married. That, that was the trigger, right? So the father of the bride had to approve of and bless the house before they could get married. If the father didn't approve, they could not get married, okay? They would have to keep working on the house until it received the father's blessing. So you can see how building this house was absolutely crucial, okay? Because the house that this man builds is not just about himself. 
it actually affects those closest to him. Okay? And this is how this image is loaded in Jesus' teaching. Right? How you build or practice your faith right, affects those closest to you. So it isn't just about a wise man and a foolish man building a house. It's actually about building this dwelling, which is going to be this place of love and growth and security. And the way that you build isn't just going to affect you, but it's going to affect those people who are closest to you. We so often think about our faith quite individualistically. As long as I'm okay and my faith is okay, then all will be fine. But actually, that's not the concept, particularly out throughout the Bible. It's like the way you build affects those closest to you. Now, this is kind of a catch-22, right? Because, of course, this can be a great thing. If you build your house well, it's going to strengthen and encourage and protect those people around you. But it can also be disastrous when the storm comes. Okay? And so, again, Jesus ups the ante. And he says, the way you build your life, your faith, the way you put into practice these words matters, not just to you, but to those closest around you. I think it's an immense challenge, particularly within our culture where, again, we like to build our little construct of faith and salvation to consider the implications of how our faith affects the people sitting next to you here in church how your faith and the way that you build within your workplace affects those other Christians within that setting because we know the storms will come. What does that look like? We have a responsibility to each other. And I love this image. We must build a house that is worthy of the Father's blessing. What would it look like to build our life and our faith in such a way? It's like, yeah, absolutely that is a safe place. Absolutely you are trustworthy for your kids or your, your colleagues or whatever it might be. You must build a house worthy of the Father's blessing. So we've talked about building. We've talked about the concept of house. And now I want to talk about what we're building on. A wise man who built his house on the rock. Now, I really enjoy camping. I enjoy getting out there in the great outdoors. I think many people who live in Central Australia enjoy camping. Um, or pretend to, um, but usually what happens is uh, you go to, uh, depending on where you've been camping previously, you go to, to pull out your tent or whatever it might be, and you, you get your, your cables out if you need to do that, and you kind of your, whatever you need to build your various state of tent, but usually you reach into your peg bag, and if you're anything like me, you'll pull out, yes, some straight pegs, but then you'll find pegs like this, right? The classic bent peg, right? And each bent peg usually carries a story, doesn't it? Like, for example, this might be uh, I was camping uh, somewhere. Uh, clearly, the ground was very hard. And most likely, because it always happens, I forget my mallet, which meant that I had no hammer and no mallet, which meant I resorted to pulling down a chunk of tree and bashing this into the ground. Tell me I'm not alone here, okay? It's what we do, Right? Um, and, and so what happened is I would bash it down. Inevitably, the surface area of said piece of wood was not ideal for the task. And so it went in, and then as I continued to push it down, it started to bend. We end up with good old bent pegs. Many of you will be familiar with this place if you live locally, Trofina Gorge. 
you've been around long enough, you'll have come across a place like this. It's just such a great illustration for this parable. Such a good illustration. This contrasting choice, right, between the rock on the side and the sand that sits in the riverbed. Really interestingly, what we see here in Central Australia is not that dissimilar to the rock faces and the wadis, they call them, um, the riverbeds within the deserts of Israel, which Jesus would have also been referring to, right? This one's called the Wadi Quell. Um, it's just uh, on the way to Jericho, right? So again, this idea of rock and sand is, is very familiar to the people. It isn't, a, it isn't a, a, a complicated idea. They know what is being spoken about. And interesting, in these wadis, not dissimilar to here in Central Australia, there would be times when storms would come through. And whatever was contained within those wadis would just simply be washed away, right, with this torrent of rain and water. And anything that was in there would simply be wiped out. Nothing could withstand it. And so Jesus, like, projects this image, right, of builders building something of significance, not just about them, but those around them, and building on a rock. And we're presented here with this choice. Do I build on the rock or do I build on the sand? Do I camp on the rock or do I camp on the sand? You see, if I choose the riverbed with the sand, building my house to a certain extent, or at least let's talk about camping, is easy, okay? I put my pegs into the ground and guess what? I need not the piece of wood. I laugh at the lack of hammer because all I need to do is put it in and just press it down and I'm like, look how deep that peg went. Meanwhile, if I choose to camp up on top of the ridgeline, which would be difficult to get to, but you know, metaphors do break down. If I choose to go up there, I get out my pegs and I look at that rock and I go, oh no, this is going to be hard. Thank goodness I brought my hammer. Again, I can change, can change my story. It's hypothetical. It's great. I get my hammer. I start hammering into that rock, choosing the ideal angle. It is hard work. The good news is I got the peg in around four centimeters. And I know with that four centimeters, I can withstand the storm because nothing is going to pull that out. It's not going to go anywhere. So Jesus describes taking his words and putting them into practice as building on a rock. A rock is solid, strong, reliable, but really hard to dig into. <laughs> it's really hard to dig into rock. It's actually a choice to choose security through vice. Choose security through sacrifice. It's going to come at a cost but that cost is going to ensure a level of security that the sand can never deliver. Now, of course, by this, I don't mean that we end up twisted and useless. <laughs> That's not what I'm talking about. I mean that if we are serious about being a disciple of Jesus, to actually live out these teachings that Jesus shared through the Sermon on the Mount, and some of these teachings are hard and they're confronting, right? They're nonsensical in many respects. If we're actually going to choose to put his words into practice, we need to anticipate struggle and challenges as we build. Like we need to actually be prepared for that. We need to expect that because that's what you get when you build a house on the rock. 
I mean, let's put it back into our kind of study and action perspective. From a study perspective, there are things about God as we read the Bible that will confuse us. There are aspects of God that cannot be reasoned out and need to be held in particularly as we read through the Bible. It can be hard work the more you dig. And what about action on the other side of the, the spectrum? You know, being persecuted for what we do, loving our enemies, forgiving people. Do you think that's easy? Like forgiving someone who's hurt us? No. It's bent pegs, right? That's what we end up with. It's hard work. It doesn't mean that it's not the best possible way to live. It doesn't mean it's not good news, but we need to be honest about what we're engaging with and be challenged, perhaps, if it doesn't feel that way. There's this beautiful story um, back in Genesis chapter 32. Uh, Jacob um, had betrayed his brother Esau uh, many years prior. He'd run off, he'd built up a lot of wealth and was returning home. Uh, And on his uh, way home, he met someone unexpected. It says here in verse uh, uh, 24, So Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Weird encounter so far, right? Let's see. Then the man says, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with men and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, It is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Fascinating story. Jacob wrestling with God. For some reason, early in the story, the man could not overpower him. And so he touched his hip, and what ends up happening is that Jacob, now called Israel, walks away limping because of his hip. As the rabbis unpacked this story for many, many uh, generations, they would use this to remind people that when you wrestle with the reality of God, when you wrestle with who God actually is, yes, you will be blessed, but you walk away limping. Yes, you will be blessed. I will not go, let go until you bless me, said Jacob. We will be blessed, but we walk away limping. And I've got to be honest, and this is I'm not trying to come across as judgmental here. I, I, I say this from a, from a place of love and compassion. I think that sometimes people, sometimes Christians, live their entire life as a straight peg. A straight peg. The foolish builder was a straight peg. Okay? But when we wrestle, when we struggle, when we challenge, when we're bent as we lay our foundations on the rock, it changes us. And this is what we're called to do. We're called to be bent pegs who have struggled and overcome the difficulties to find our security in the rock. To choose the way of Jesus is a life-changing construction. We will walk away limping. And this home is temporary, right? That's okay but we will walk away limping. 
So if your life, your faith was a peg, what would it look like? What would its shape be? I challenge you only to the extent that Jesus challenged his first hearers to take his words and actually put them into practice. Because everybody is building their life on something. Everybody is building their life on something. Let me read this parable one more time. As we consider these words, building, house, and rock. I encourage you to reflect which of these images is the one that God wants to put his finger on your life and saying, ah, that's for you. Because I've got something better for you. That's the challenge for you. Jesus said, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down. The streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. Let's pray. Jesus, you challenge us to a faith that matters, that changes us and changes this world. God, I want to pray, Lord, particularly for people right now, Lord, who are going through a wrestle. They've been feeling bent and they're wondering whether that's okay. Lord, as we wrestle with integrity and intention, do what you need to do in us so that we would trust you and that we would have our security in the rock when the storm comes. Because the storm will come, you know this. Today, tomorrow, in a week, in a year, the storm will come. And so Jesus, may we not be complacent about how we build. Would we take up our tools with intention? Would we consider those closest to us and ask the question, God, what is my, how does my faith impact those who I love and care for and who are closest to me. And in those times when it might be tempting to set up camp or build our house on the sand, will we choose the rock? Will we choose the sacrificial love that you demonstrated first? It may not be easy, but we know it's the best. And so thank you for these incredible words of truth that you communicated to us so that we might know your heart, your way, and what it looks like to be your disciple. In Jesus' name, amen.